0: Annie is a quarter-horse mare who we never would have suspected had the severe issues she did. Thankfully, we found them in time to make a difference. Follow along to hear her story.
1: Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Kim. Welcome to Equine Body Talks, a podcast about opening the conversation on equine wellness. Join us as we
0: dive deeper into the whole body approach for your equine performance courses.
1: Thanks everyone for listening in today. We just wanted to first give a big thank you to everyone listening as you've blown our minds with the support and downloads we've been receiving. We're just excited to be bringing this to you and can't thank you all enough. We love hearing your feedback, so continue to connect with us through our social media sites, by email, or connect with us personally.
0: So now on to today's episode. It came about because of some recent events with my own horse. I thought it would be interesting to share it with everyone as some of my own misconceptions were shattered with the outcome of her journey. We'll be following this little mare's progress through her diagnosis, treatment, and into the summer when she's in full work again and we hope to have her attending vet on during her recovery to chat about her case specifically, but also to answer any questions you guys might have. So send those to us and we'll make sure and include them. We'll also be posting photos of her ulcers and the gastroscope online. I apologize in advance because my video skills are not super professional and I have a tendency to kind of squirrel about and (laughs) look over at the horse at the same time as trying to record it so it may not always be right exactly on the um the lens of the or the but you'll get the point you will get the point <laughs> you absolutely will get the point and it's actually more shocking when you see the video than even just seeing the photos themselves yeah. so yeah it was a pretty severe case and uh, I just can't say how glad I am that I decided to do the scope for sure so So recently, I had a chance to be part of an equine gastroscope. It was pretty cool, other than the fact it was my own horse that was being scoped, and I was paying the bills, and that what we were finding was super shocking. I felt like we'd been doing all the right things for her, I knew knowledge on the topic, but yet I was watching this screen in disbelief, and finding out exactly what was going on in her stomach after all these years. So Aegis stands for equine gastric ulcer syndrome, something that is becoming more common in our equine industry these days. So today we're gonna to talk about it and we're gonna follow the case study of Annie, my little mare, to show you why this is something we all need to be more aware of, especially with our current horse housing practices. There's many opinions out there as to whether or not the severity of this epidemic actually exists or is it just big industry trying to make some money? we'll share our own opinions on treatment and protocols as well as keep you updated with Annie's progress.
1: So Kim, start by telling us a little little bit about Annie.
0: Sure. So Annie's my little 14 year old mare. (laughs) She is um, bred in Texas and uh, her name is Annie Oakley's Blues. She was bought as a two year old, was started and trained by Doug Reinhart when I worked for Doug. And She had all the promise of making an exceptional little cutting horse. Uh, So we had lots of hopes with with her. And she absolutely proceeded to train really well and show us that she could do the job. Mm -hmm. But we found that as the year went on, she really started to get wound up. Um, Now, she's a three-year-old, and so sometimes you don't really know the horse that well, and you kind of think to yourself, oh, maybe this is just her. Yep. But she literally went from being able to be loped or, you know, started to um, get ready for her, her shows 45 minutes to, by the end of the show season, three hours.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so she was not calming down. Yeah. Um, but yet we couldn't just let her go because she would have been wild. Yeah. She had success that first year as a Futurity Horse. And when we brought her back as a four-year-old, she certainly, again, showed lots of promise and was back to just needing even like a half hour to get ready. And we were like, oh, sweet. She's back. She's more mature. She's mentally more capable to do her job. So we're off to the races. Yeah. Again, as the year progressed, she would get a little bit more wild. And by the end of the show season, she was a little bit of a wild card. Lots of potential, lots of ability still there. Yeah. But as I say, now as I know what I saw in the scope, I look back on it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's been a it was a good ongoing, indicator. Yeah. Yeah. That ulcers have been a part of her life since the beginning. Yeah. So she continued on to show primarily with Doug in the open, but I did show her some in some non-pro classes. Yeah. Uh, and then Doug's daughter took her for a year or two and did some showing with her. She had a few years off when I was sick and had her first foal at that point. Okay. Um, And then our neighbor's daughter was interested to do some showing. So we let her borrow Annie and she showed her. And again, same pattern emerged. (laughs) She would start off really calm and cool. And by the end of the season, she was getting a little bit hot again. Um, So... We also noted with her is that uh, her muscles would often get really tight by the okay. end of the show season. Yeah, we thought at first it was like an imbalance in nutrition, mm-hmm. um, specifically magnesium. So she was on some magnesium supplements, and you know, yeah, again, no seemed, change seemed to maybe help a little bit, but okay, sometimes there's a little bit of that placebo effect. So <laughs> I think yes. you think what you're doing is helping, uh, when in fact maybe it's not really having a ton of uh, effect on her at all. So when she finished with uh, our neighbor's daughter, Emily, she came back to us and we then used her as a broodmare for two more foals. Okay. The most recent just being born last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And after seeing pictures of her, I might call (laughs) dibs. I know, right? She's a pretty sweet little thing. She's super, super cute. Um, But uh, yeah, she's, She's been a really good mom. She always took to the job very easily. Yeah. Um, she, I wouldn't ever say that she was a stressed horse. You know, she never really showed us that kind of science. Um, but anyways, yeah, she just, we don't need another baby on the ground. After yeah. This. They get expensive when you start collecting horses. Yes, they do. So we decided that um, our friend's daughter, Mm-hmm. was wanting another horse to ride because she loves riding and she was spending so many hours on her other horse yeah. that uh she needed a second one so that she could give her first horse a little bit of a break <laughs> um, Perfect. Yeah. so annie went to go live with them they are really good friends of ours they super horse knowledgeable she yeah. knew you know how to care for the horse i brought her all the feed everything like that um And she had been there, as I say, in October after we weaned this last baby. Mm -hmm. And we were really careful with her weaning because we knew that, um, you know, she has the potential to sometimes get stressed. So she was there, yeah, I guess from October until just recently. But that's basically been her history at this point.
1: Yeah. So you, at the time, her health history, you didn't um think she had any signs of ulcers but did she have any other issues that you were worried about or concerned about
0: no she's honestly been pretty solid little mare she for sure being a cutting horse we've had to do some maintenance injections with her throughout her yep. show career um, she's always fold really well, never had any issues with her foaling. She was actually the perfect little broodmare mare for that reason. She yes. usually just popped them right out Aww. and they're up and sucking. Everything, you know, went really well. The only thing that stands out is that about two years ago. So with her second foal, um, mm-hmm. we decided to breed her back to back. Never mm-hmm. done that before. Um, But in this case, the opportunity came up and we thought, yeah, we'll do this. So we had to, the the semen we had decided to use for her third full uh, needed to be done by AI. And so she went to the vet clinic to have that done. We dropped her off. The baby was about a month and a half. Yeah, we'd missed her full heat. So she was coming into her first heat after. And, you know, she had... um, Again, never really been showing signs of stress. But when mm-hmm. we dropped her off, she needed to be in a pen next to other mares, of course. Okay. And it was smaller areas than what she's used to. Uh, and the mares on either side were waiting to fall. And when she arrived with her baby, they decided that maybe they wanted her baby. <laughs> Aww. So you could tell that, you know, they would charge the fence kind of thing. And yeah. So definitely a little bit more stressful for her there yeah. uh, than it would have been at home. But also, she was doing it by AI, which she'd never had. So they would have mm-hmm. had a lot more ultrasounds, lots more palpation, a lot more handling. Yeah. Um, now, she is a show horse, so she's been handled a ton, yeah. but not necessarily in that way. Yes. <laughs> and she had a baby on her side. So she was at the vet clinic about a week, and she collected. Okay, and very significantly, they uh, they were quite concerned that she needed to go in for surgery. Uh huh. And we just made that decision that, unfortunately, I love this little horse with all my heart, but she's also a a broodmare. She's not my main competition horse. We couldn't afford to do um, a surgery on her. Call it surgery. Very fair. So we said do everything you can in terms of fluids and trying to bring her out of it. Yeah. Um. But we just can't go that route. Very fortunately for us, she came out of it within a couple of hours. Yeah. And everything seemed to be fine. They were able to breed her, and then she came back home, and was home for about two months, and she called again. And this oh. time, <laughs> I noticed it. Yeah, out in the field. It was pretty mild. I gave her some banamine and walked her and she came out of it and we thought everything was fine. A month later, she did it a third time. Mm-hmm. So now we have an issue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I have a pretty important baby in her tummy. Yeah. We have a baby that's still nursing. I need this mare to survive. Yeah. <laughs> so... We took her into the vet clinic. She wasn't coming out of the third colic as well as I had hoped with just the banamine and the walking. Uh-huh. So took her into Moore's. Um, again, obviously, had no plans on doing a colic surgery, but I wanted to give her every opportunity. Yeah. By the time we got there, she was fine. Yeah. <laughs> The trailer I knocked course, it over of her. Of <laughs> course. Um, it's probably after hours too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, uh, luckily it wasn't. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I know. She picked good time then. <laughs> <Five>. <laughs> um, Yeah, so they decided though, they monitored her for a little while. Still, everything was fine with her. She was slightly dehydrated. So mm-hmm. they thought, let's give her some fluids. Yeah. So they went ahead and um, tubed her to give her some fluids. There was no sedation because of course she's pregnant and nursing, but she's so quiet. She's only 14 one. So she's an itty bitty little thing too. Yeah. She's in the stocks. Everything was fine. They got the tube in. They had put about two and a half, three liters of fluid into her. And this little mare launched herself over the stocks. And we've all oh, seen Goodness. Yeah. yeah. We know that, I mean, one, there's not a lot of room to ramp up to get it over. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and secondly, for a 14-1 hand horse to clear it, yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. So, you know, jumping maybe in her future. <laughs>
1: yeah. She's got some athleticism behind her. She
0: does, but uh, scared the crap out of all of us, mm-hmm. uh, sent some vet techs flying and equipment all over the place, and now she's loose in the middle of the clinic. <laughs> Oh, So, yeah, I was blown away by how reactive that was. Like, it was so explosive. I can't yeah. I can say I'm trying to describe it, but it was one of those things. So, anyhow, she ended up, uh, you know, catching her right away. Everyone kind of calmed down. They monitored her for a little bit more. But essentially, obviously, we weren't going to be able to do a scope at that point mm-hmm. because we can't sedate her and there's no way anyone's going back down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yes. Point. Um, but secondly, she um had sort of shown it again, just with the history of the fact that she had stressed and then colicked and you know, maybe stressed again and colic, yeah. That they decided the likelihood was that the tube maybe had moved around and hit an ulcer. Okay. And so at that point they were pretty sure she had ulcers. Yeah. Um to some degree. hmm So we decided to just go the route of doing some compound metoprolol, and, uh, did 30 days of that. Mm-hmm. And it seemed fine. She came yeah. out of, you know, never had another episode. She didn't call it again. No, never, never called it again up until three weeks ago.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> and, uh, so she's again now at our friend's place and call it again. You know, somewhat mildly, but enough that it was scary for them to yeah. see her thrashing about, for sure. Um, it, nothing, she was able to come out of it just with the walking abandonment once more. Yeah. But at this point, we also noticed that, and they had noticed it beforehand and told me, but uh, she had lost a significant amount of weight. Okay. So, she had started back riding already. Um, Not yep. hard, you know. Sheridan did a phenomenal job of bringing her back slowly, getting her in shape, mm-hmm. moving cows with her, taking her to a few barrel runs, that kind of stuff. But again, she was not pushing her whatsoever. Yeah, And she was being doted on <laughs> by this young girl yes. who loved her. So she didn't have a super stressed life. She was in with another mare. Mm -hmm. Um, so she had a buddy, she had her feed, she was on the same feed program that I had sent her with. Yeah.
1: Which if anybody knows Kim, it's a good feed program.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, just like, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we took all the right steps. So we were maintaining the ulcer issue and we were aware that it could have been present, you know, in the fall when we weaned. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she just, it was one of those things where like, where the heck is this coming from? Yeah. So I got on the call to Chad, uh, Dr. Hewlett, and said, look, what are you you're thinking? Like, should I go ahead, Scope? Should I just go ahead, do gastrointestinal? Like, what should I do? Yeah. Um, so in discussing and having Dr. Travis Kelter also was involved. He was the emergency vet on call when Annie called three weeks ago. Okay. Um, so he was involved in this as well. And we just decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and... Uh, give her the scope and see how that goes. So, yeah. So that brought us to last week when the day before she collect once more.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: So obviously a pretty significant trend going here. Yep. Um, I was really glad that we decided to do the scope at that point. Yes, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, So can you walk us through the prep work getting Mm -hmm. into the scope?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... Really easy, actually, and I think a lot of people um, get a little bit confused or, you know, have lots of different ideas in their mind in terms of what's all involved. It's 18 hours for them to fast, so you take away all food for 18 hours. which Pretty easy in the winter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Really easy. Um, And in my case, obviously, I'm lucky I have a barn, Yeah, so it was even easier. So at 3 o'clock on Sunday evening or afternoon I brought her into the barn um she had water in front of her but that was it yeah and uh at that point she wasn't even really interested in eating anyways she okay yeah um we had started to notice that as well leading up to this so she was quite content uh we brought in some buddies for her to be in the barn with and then from there she ended up um, having two hours prior to her scopes. The scope was booked yep. for 10 o'clock Monday morning, mm-hmm. and she had no water access.
1: And I think the, the no feed thing is very important, because mm-hmm. if you show up and you've fed your horse... Um, you've wasted your time yeah, and, your and <laughs> Yeah, they're not going to be able to see anything no. if there's a bunch of feed in there, so... It is really important to make sure that you do that so you're not calling the clinic in the morning, can I still bring him if he's at yeah, breakfast? Absolutely. Or, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you'll notice um if you're watching the scope on the life like our uh, social media pages, mm-hmm. how clear the image is. Yeah. Because of the fasting protocol. Yeah. Um and she as I say, wasn't in a stressful situation for her whatsoever took her there yeah. and she immediately went into the scope, you know. So The scope itself lasted 15 minutes. She was given a little bit of sedation, obviously, because they have to go in through the nose and, um, through this well with her history it's probably a good idea <laughs> we i did tell them that so everybody was very acutely aware of any little move she made yeah <laughs> hence the reason the video kind of wiggles a little bit <laughs> just make sure she's not jumping out over there <laughs> i wanted to make sure she didn't take out the scope equipment either because i can't pay for that mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah anyways she uh she came through it really well and oh, good. just needed to recover from the sedation before we loaded her on the trailer. Yeah. So they put the scope up the nose. They put the scope up the nose, yeah. And then uh, they find the esophagus, go down through the esophagus into the stomach. Cool. Yeah. So, and it's, the scope can only go into the stomach. So you can't have a scope of your hind gut, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe fortunately, because basically you're just going to see a bunch of Manure. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you fasted them for a long And lot who really wants a scope battery? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, what did they find when they did the scope?
0: Yeah. So, they found significant ulcers all through the upper portion or squamous portion of the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say I was expecting to see ulcers there, mm-hmm. but what I saw was probably and they had indicated too, like one of the more severe cases they've ever seen that's crazy it is crazy especially when you think like she's just a little quarter horse mare that hasn't yeah. done a whole lot lately yeah. and is well managed
1: yeah. um yeah she's on you said they're on feed
0: hay nets yeah all the time they're on hay nets all the time she was being fed some products That because we had assumed she had ulcers, so she was on ulcer preventative, you know, supplements, uh, not medications, it was supplements. And
1: still trying to colic through that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously the colic just was a great indication of how much pain she was actually in. She wasn't in a gas colic. It wasn't a compaction. It wasn't a twist. It was simply from pain that she was colicking. Yeah. So... Yeah, it made my heart a little sad when I saw it because I thought, you know... For sure, she, you don't
1: ever want to see your no.
0: animals in
1: pain, but... No.
0: And she's such an honest little thing, you know? So, yeah, yeah. it was it was extremely shocking. But yeah. the more shocking part was when we got down into the bottom portion of the stomach right before the small intestine mm-hmm. um, to an area called the pylorus. Mm-hmm. And there was a pretty significant ulcer Um, okay and the problem with these ulcers are that that is a super low ph Mm -hmm. and is constantly like ph of one Mm -hmm. so just irritated all the time and that one is probably the one that was causing her the most pain yeah um, and then therefore the the colic Uh uh-huh yeah not all fun and games (laughs) (laughs) i hope you guys can learn a little bit from this this is the whole point yeah yeah but Oh wow! So yeah, anyways, I I think it's important though that we have an understanding or everybody has an understanding about a horse's digestion in their stomach and why ulcers maybe are more prevalent in horses than say, I don't know, do cattle get ulcers? (laughs) I'm sure they could. (laughs) Sure they could. Um, But, uh, and humans obviously do as well. But yeah, Katie, you want to give us a little understanding of what it's like in the stomach?
1: (laughs) For sure. Um, what trips a lot of people in believing ulcers aren't as big of a problem, um, as they are for horses, and they try to compare them to humans and how we eat and feel, um, or they'll compare them to other farm animals such as cattle. The issue with this is that horses are completely unique in their digest- digestive tracts and do not process food the same way. Um, This is going to be a super simplified explanation because we'd be here for hours trying to describe digestion, but cattle are ruminants, which means that they have multiple stomachs and a small intestine that allow for the digestion to take place with bacteria and enzymes to digest nutrients through fermentation. So cows regurgitate their feed and chew on their cud, and they can sit there and do that all day, um, which allows them to eat or hold larger amounts of feed and, you know, eat at one time Mm -hmm. um, or eat a whole bunch at one time. And then they can just, when they're relaxing, spit it back up and chew it later. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I could do that. (laughs) Humans, on the other hand, are not ruminants, which means we use the stomach acid, bile, and enzymes in the stomach and small intestine to digest our nutrients, while using bacteria only in the large intestine to break down waste material. We usually eat... And are most comfortable when eating a few meals throughout the day. Horses have some characteristics of both, but in the stomach and small intestine rely on enzymes to digest proteins, starches, and fats. While using bacteria in the cecum to digest fiber, as a ruminant would. And bacteria in the hindgut to digest waste. Um, Both ruminants and non-ruminants do that. A horse was designed to be a grazer, meaning they'll ingest small amounts of food over long periods of time. They're used to like walking out in the hills and eating yeah. what they can throughout the day. Absolutely. Their stomachs are relatively small when compared to the size of their body, and they cannot regurgitate or vomit. So what goes in must come out the other end. <laughs>
0: and it sometimes comes out?
1: Yes. <laughs> if horses gorge on a meal, um then that forces the food through the digestive system without it being fully digested. So the stomach will get mm-hmm. full and start to empty into the small intestine, which can cause issues such as colic. Yeah, um, it's also kind of uncomfortable because their body's trying to break down food that hasn't been digested properly by the stomach yet. Yeah. So their stomachs only hold eight to fifteen gallons of food and water. Um, and It takes them about 45 minutes to process this.
0: That's pretty quick. That's really,
1: it's really quick, but eight to 15 gallons is not much when you think of bucket size. Yeah. Yeah. And such a large animal. Um, Acid is required to digest the roughage and it accumulates in the stomach regardless if they're eating or not. Hmm. Um, They produce roughly one and a half liters per hour, 24 hours a day. Yeah. Huge key here. Huge, (laughs) yeah. This acid production doesn't shut down, so if roughage is not in the stomach, then the lining of the stomach is at risk. Mm -hmm. A key factor in why feeding horses once or twice a day is causing them a lot of health issues, specifically ulcers.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I think, I mean, I know from when I started riding years and years ago, um, Mm -hmm. we did. You fed them morning and you fed them night. Yeah. And you fed them two flakes And two flakes, because you didn't want them getting too fat. Yeah. You know, so I I think, again, it just goes back to, not that we did anything badly, we just didn't know any different.
1: Yes, for sure. So a horse's stomach consists of two zones, the squamous or smooth portion at the top where food comes in from the esophagus and has a high pH, around 6 to 7, meaning it's less acidic. Then there's a line that divides the stomach called the margot- Placada. Placada.
0: <laughs> a good <big> word for a <laughs> <And>, little thing.
1: <laughs> and it's the transition zone between or transition zone, providing a bit of a barrier between the zones. PH here is around four. The bottom of the stomach is called the fundus or the glandular region, and this is where the hydrochloric acid is secreted into. There is also mucus-secreting cells to help protect the structure, but pH in this area is down to 1 or 2. So very, very acidic. The pylorus is where the stomach empties into the small intestine. It's about 65 feet long and holds roughly 45 liters, but the broken-down food will pass through here in about an hour and a half to three hours. So again, fairly rapidly. Fiber cannot digest in the small intestine. That happens in the hindgut. Enzymes here break down further the starches and complex carbs into simple sugars to be absorbed through the gut wall. Then the materials are passed through, the cecum, through to the cecum and the large intestine, known collectively as the hind gut. The cecum is about 3 feet long and can hold up to 35 liters. This is where fermentation happens and material is here for roughly 72 hours. The energy produced from the fibrous material fermenting in the cecum makes up 75% of the horse's energy.
0: Pretty cool stat there. That is
1: really cool because we all think we need to feed sugars and carbs for energy, but horses actually need to digest fiber for their energy. Fiber, fiber, fiber. Yeah. The last steps are to move into the large intestine for the last of the bacterial breakdown of material. The large intestine is 10 feet long and holds up to 80 liters
0: yeah so pretty extensive anatomy there for everybody but i think it's really important to go over so that you understand why ulcers would develop so more much more prevalently in horses Mm -hmm. um, than they do even in say humans um and uh for sure there are hindgut ulcers Mm -hmm. that can develop in our case with annie we are currently just dealing with the foregut yeah. So the stomach ulcers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say, we can't scope down further, so mm-hmm. we can make assumptions. But yeah, with her, we're treating based on mm-hmm. the, the foregut. So what may be mind-blowing to some people is how prevalent the ulcers are in general over the whole equine population. There was a really cool study done down at the University of California. Now, keep in mind, this is an area where they have limited grazing, and so these horses were on dry lots and required to be, the feed to be supplied to them. What they found is 90% of racehorses, 30 to 60% of show and performance horses, 67% of those endurance and event horses, 40% Western performance and dressage, 20 to 50% for foals. 67% in pregnant mares, and 76% in non-pregnant brood mares. So, I mean, astounding That's, numbers. Yeah. And that study was done years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for sure, I know I've heard of some other studies where they even put some of those numbers higher than that. Yeah. So again, it just depends a little bit in terms of the area and what the, the parameters for the studies were. But I think, you know, most of us can agree that the majority of the horses that are cared for nowadays are needing to be on a a hay um, diet of some sort instead of just straight up grazing like they would normally or Mm -hmm. naturally do. Yeah. So Um,
1: I think it's also important, though, to reiterate that Annie has been on like a big pasture field and round bale feeding the majority of her life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And round biofitting like with the hay saver, not the hay net, but the hay net, so that it's meant to kind of graze all day. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. Um, And I do think that there's great management practices, including hay nets. I will continue to use hay nets uh, with my other horses, especially. But the thing, I think Annie just got to a point that in her case, specifically right now. It just was too much for her system. So mm-hmm. not saying that, you know, any of these practices are bad, but absolutely. Any, yeah. even a pasture horse sitting out there can develop, well, mares specifically, yeah. right?
1: We use a lot of hay nets in our stalls as yeah. well.
0: So um, that they eat slowly. and Yep.
1: So they have access to feed all day because when yeah. they're in a stall, they can't really regulate that, right? Yeah, or if they step on it or pee on it, then all of a sudden it's...
0: Yeah. Gone and like to. we said, you don't want them gorging on their food either. no. so uh, you because you're not getting the nutritional value if they're getting fed their meals yes. once or twice. So yeah. yeah, super super important to find alternative feeding practices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as body
1: workers, what effect will ulcers have on the tissue and how can we help spot some key factors that may require further attention?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ulcers are open source. So open sores that fail to heal. Yes. That's what the definition, it can be either internal or external. Mm -hmm. So you can often, or often we'll hear about people with diabetic ulcers on their legs, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know my mom had one of those as well that uh, you can see from the outside and they're very sore looking if you see them externally. So just think of those now internally in the stomach. Mm -hmm. If they're present in the stomach Again, like we talked about with our little anatomy class there, mm-hmm. you're talking about a very acidic environment, especially on uh, right around that margoplicata or that dividing line in the stomach mm-hmm. or at the bottom portion of the stomach if they have those pyloric area ulcers. So they can eventually even burn right through and become a penetrating or bleeding ulcer.
1: That sounds painful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want any
1: horse to have to go through that.
0: No. And in, in Annie's case, not that they were uh, penetrating, but mm-hmm. they looked sore enough. They were obviously very pronounced and red mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, who knows
1: how
0: yeah. close they were. To yeah. through. Aww. Yeah. So. Um,
1: so what are some signs and symptoms? To, to look for
0: yeah and especially I think as body workers this is a great one for us to be cognizant of because the owners may be noticing their horses have a lack of performance they may notice a little bit with the uh you know not wanting to eat you know not mm-hmm. wanting to come to their food either grain or hay or they yeah. become picky when they eat yeah. um or you know they might notice them being a little bit more anxious a little bit more fearful just not themselves. So then yeah, they'll bring change in, change in
1: behavior. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Temperament, maybe they become more aggressive, cinchy, those kind of things.
1: Or right? super re,
0: like almost relaxed, like docile, yeah. dead to the world. If it completely um, changes the opposite way, it can yeah. be a big indicator. Yeah. So having that history with your client, if you've been called out to work on a horse mm-hmm. and from the owner or trainer's perspective, it may just be like this horse feels really stiff. Is wanting to move. Like, I think it just needs to relax its muscles. So you get called out as a body worker. Mm-hmm. That's great. But you would really notice how tense and tight those muscles are overall mm-hmm. in the body. Um, so the big thing for, for us, again, really listen to the people um, that have brought you in. Mm-hmm. But if a horse is experiencing pain... They're going to experience anxiety, they're going to experience fear, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're going to uh, try to avoid the situations. So whether that avoidance is becoming hyperactive, irritable, or going the opposite way like you just talked about and becoming more dull. Yeah. Um, But look at things like, you know, again, the history they just gave you, but is their hair coat dull? Is it long guard hairs? Yeah. Do they have that potty look to their stomach? Like, does it look like it's just kind of full, like that hay gut that Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about? Are they not able to shed very well? Is there ventral edema? So edema in front of the sheath or the uh, teats on the mare. Mm -hmm. All of those things are great indicators, plus then what you feel as a body worker in terms of the muscles. And find out, like, is there a reason for that muscle specifically to be that sore or the whole body to be that Mm sore did they just come from a major competition or you know something out of the normal but if you add all of these things together again with the history that they've given you it could then lead us to believe that there's something more going on um, and we need to look at it at a deeper perspective by calling in the vet for sure (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah, for sure. So another thing uh, that I was taught, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, but not everybody has, there was a vet down in the States called Dr. Kerry Ridgeway, and he developed a protocol of specific acupoints that he found throughout the horse's body that could determine whether or not a horse had the potential to have ulcers present. Mm -hmm. Now they did do a study with him. And in his case, I think it was something astounding, like 95 to almost a hundred percent of his, when he just went through and tested those points and he said, yeah, this horse is positive for ulcers. Yeah. They then went and scoped and they found that he was right. Really? And he may have gone through and said, "Nope, this horse is not positive. Yeah, and they went through and scoped it. No horse wasn't.
1: Well, that's pretty cool.
0: So pretty, I would say accurate in terms of uh, the possibility. But again, the only way to fully know is to do the diagnostics by a veterinarian mm-hmm. and have a scope done for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but those are, as I say, if you know as a body worker how to use those uh, those points, it is another tool in your tool belt to then say, I'm. Cautious here, (laughs) yeah. You have to be careful what you say because, of course, we're not doing any diagnosing. No, and by no means is that a diagnosis. It's just showing that there is the potential that it is ulcer related, as opposed to maybe something else. Yeah.
1: And again, you can't see inside a horse's stomach. Neither can an owner. No. And it's also, I find, as an owner, these things come on can be very gradual. Yes. You know, even with wow. Annie, yeah, you know, absolutely. all of a sudden you're like, okay, she colicked once. Well, that's okay. Horses can colic. Yeah. Okay. She colicked twice. Okay. Maybe something's going on. Maybe I should get her looked at, but it's all like, it's a gradual buildup, right? It's yeah. the same with your kids or anything. Like you don't notice things, you don't notice them growing, Yeah. but all of a sudden a someone picture. says, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, your kid's so big. So it's the yeah. same. Ulcers can kind of be the same for the owner. Um, where they're maybe not noticing the smaller behavioral changes mm-hmm. until they're telling you about them, and then it should be going off your head red flag, red flag. Here's what we need to work on or yeah. look at, or things like that, right? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe you should talk to your vet about this. I'm not saying it is, but just giving them even just an awareness yes. that, or putting it on their radar so that they can pay attention yes. and then make decisions from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it may be a horse that, is prone to ulcers and the owner has already done all of the checks and balances has done a scope. They know the horse is prone to that. Um, and so it maybe is another tool also, also just to say, Oh, I think maybe
1: mm-hmm.
0: something's stressing, something's coming back here. You need to chat with your vet again about, yeah. you know, the protocol in terms of maintenance or what do we need to do to try and prevent them from getting too severe. For sure. Yeah. So what are your current treatment options for Annie? Yeah. So at the moment we have chosen, um, well, I should say back at the day, we, we just went ahead and did the Omeprazole. We could have done that again, but because we did the scope, I was like, "Mm, we're not, we're not going this route. We really need to treat here. And so we started her on GastroGuard, which is the gold standard. Um, And then we also have her on sucral fate. So sucral fate specifically for that pyloric ulcer. Mm -hmm. And we will re-scope her on February 20th. Mm -hmm. And if she still has active ulcers, she will go on another uh, 30 days of treatment. So we'll keep you all posted on that. But, uh, you know, I was asked, well, why didn't I just go ahead? I was sure she had ulcers and I was proven right. But at the same time, why did I waste my $500 that it cost me for the scope and just put that towards the gastro mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my answer to that is the fact that I didn't know the severity of her ulcers. Mm-hmm. And even by doing the Ridgeway points, which, yes, she was super active to all of those, reactive to all of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is since she, all those other history signs we talked about with her. Yeah. Um, but I would never in a zillion years, <laughs> yeah. uh, have just dis- have known that they, they were that bad. Yeah. So and now, you know, and can monitor them. Absolutely. And I'm super glad that I chose to do the scope Yeah. and, uh, yeah, would, would do it again. Obviously. Well, cause if you only, if
1: you would have just done the treatment and they're not gone in 28 days or 30 days, then you'd we would stop treatment and they'd get worse and you'd end up spending probably more in medication yeah. for her
0: to or, try and treat them. Yeah, or in another colic. Yeah, or in another colic, <laughs> yes, yes. That you know, you never know where that's yeah. going to lead. So. so
1: right now, the most effective treatment currently available for treating ulcers is omeprazole, a medication that permanently impairs the pump that causes acid to be secreted into the stomach. Omeprazole is effective if administered just once a day and once acid pumps are destroyed, the new pumps must be made before acid production will resume. Omeprazole is destroyed by acids and must be protected within the acidic environment of the stomach. In order for it to be effective, it must be formulated in a buffered paste, which is what GastroGuard is. And that's why it's a little bit more expensive is because it's the buffered version of Omeprazole. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a patented product that is coated to be more effective than compound Omeprazole. Plain, unprotected Omeprazole, um, offered by a wide variety of compounding pharmacies, is more variable in regards to potency from day to day as it's sus- suspended in a liquid state. At this time, the gold standard for Omeprazole products is it available are GastroGuard or UlcerGuard. Yeah. Um, sucralfate, which you already uh, mentioned for Annie as well, coats and protects the stomach lining and may be used in conjunction with Omeprazole for best results. Medications that block acid receptors, such as Zantac, can be effective, but unlike Omeprazole, these medications are dependent on maintaining constant blood levels and must be dosed at regular eight-hour intervals, yeah. which gets a little tricky. <laughs> <It> does <laughs> um, new treatments are coming, which have been which have recently shown promise in helping to um, promote ulcer healing, mm-hmm. and alfalfa, which is used to be thought as a culprit for ulcers has actually been shown to be um, a little bit of a buffer for the pH. So as part of a management practice for ulcer prone horses, adding some to the diet could be beneficial, but um, talk to your veterinarian yeah. about how much and if it's the right choice for your horse.
0: Absolutely. Cause that's definitely not something we're promoting for everybody to nope. use, but uh, it, you know, I have heard and I will be doing for Annie is just like a cup of alfalfa pellets. Uh, can be soaked or or not, but mm-hmm. just the pellets themselves. Um, probably about half hour before she goes into any kind of riding from now on, just to help give that little bit of a buffer. But again, so horse specific. Yes, <laughs> Need for to sure. Chat with your body worker, your vet, um, anybody that uh, can help you on that.
1: Yeah, and as we mentioned before, um, even if you're deciding to treat your horse with alternative medications, mm-hmm. getting the scope done before and then after your treatment um, is so important to make sure that you're uh, combating what the horse is dealing with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I stand behind that one now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, So yeah, if you assume your horse has ulcers and he doesn't, it's possible he could be suffering from something else or an even more serious problem. Um, So by failing to make an accurate diagnosis, it could significantly impact his long-term health.
0: Yeah. So absolutely comes down to everybody just needing to be aware that diagnosing a horse is a veterinary scope and is something though, that really is important Mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing with any kind of ailments, including ulcers. So we've all, I mean, I've done it before where, and I've been involved with the vets where we decided the scope wasn't the right thing to do in Mm -hmm. case of Annie when she had the tube down. (laughs) Um, But it's something that I I firmly believe in now in in seeing what I saw in her case and being able to now track her successfully so that we know if treatment is going to be effective.
1: And Um, in my experience in the rehab world, generally... If you cut out diagnostics to cut costs, it will end up, yes, it does not matter what it is. It will end up costing you more in playing a guessing game than just having the diagnostics. Then you have something to compare it to in years to come or anything like that. Um, I always suggest having a diagnosis before guessing.
0: Absolutely. I've spent hundreds of dollars on products for Annie. Mm-hmm. I still think that these products have value. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Um, but not at her current state. Yes. Nor in the state that she obviously was in to have allowed the ulcers to get as bad as they currently are. Because mm-hmm. she was on those products at the time. Yeah. Um, so it they can work. Yes. There's but... a lot of
1: natural-based products that can mm-hmm. help. Um, with the maintenance of a horse that's prone to ulcers, yeah. when they don't have full blown ulcers, yeah. but as we've discussed, if you have a full blown case of ulcers, there is very few treatment options. There's, yeah, one good protocol <laughs>
0: exactly. So if I guess you know the takeaway from this is one management. So try and manage your horse as best as possible in a more of a grazing type environment. So whether that be with the hay nets that you can allow them to nibble as they choose, or if you are going to be feeding, you know, a flake here, a flake there and mm-hmm. add up to five or six times a day if possible. Yeah. Um, but in some cases not always possible with that. It is the best practice. They need to have fiber in mm-hmm. their guts Because that acid needs to do its job and otherwise it's going to find another culprit to go after and we don't want it to be the stomach. For sure. um, That's super, super important. If you do feel the horse has ulcers, however, or is uh, really showing a significant sign of any of the ones that we had discussed, you need to talk to your vet about the protocol best for that horse and for your situation. Mm -hmm. because. Yes, cost is definitely a factor. Um, one thing that I can share with you guys uh, as well is that at the moment, I don't know how much longer, but because we scoped Annie prior to treatment mm-hmm. and she is now on the 30 days of the gastro guard, mm-hmm. and then we will re-scope her in 30 days. Yeah. If there is any active ulcers at that point, her treatment for the next 30 days will be at no cost. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's something that the company that produces um has done. And Interesting. This, yeah, very interesting. Because now we can actually finally deal with the problem, right? Huh. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. I know. it's. I mean, I don't know how, as I say, how long or how often they do that. I know they yeah. did do it last spring as well. Okay. Um, but I wasn't aware that it was still present or still happening until... Yeah which I was very thankful for. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool that they are doing that, that obviously one means they stand behind the product. But secondly, yeah. just for those cases like hers that are so severe, hopefully we're treated in 30 days. But if yes. not, we have that to fall back on. Yeah. Now I'm still paying for the scopes, but the second yes. scope as well is almost half price. Yeah. So there are things out there. Don't just make assumptions, go and chat to your vet and find out for sure. But yeah, essentially ulcers are an issue and uh, we just need to try and stay on top of them with management. And this is something that we're going to keep coming back to.
1: Yes. We'll have, we're going to be putting more on our social media about it. Yeah, And um, yeah, you get to follow Annie's
0: journey. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I say, we hope to have Dr. Keltheron at some point here in the near future to talk about, you know, the case from his veterinary perspective. And if you guys have any questions, make sure and let us know, because we would love to ask him for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. We'd love to have you subscribe to our
0: podcast and get all the new episodes. Please rate, review, and share with your friends so we can grow and bring you topics you're most interested in. Contact us through our website or on social media with your engagement. I also wanted just to mention here, I think it's really relevant to anybody interested in equine bodies, um, but specifically body workers. There is an app that's just come out through Equinology and it has an absolute ton of information that is right at your fingertips through your phone. So it's really handy when you're in the field and you're not having to haul around your reference books, which, you know, most of us don't do, but (laughs) we do have a tendency to have a ton of of books are sitting around. So this is really great. It's right there. Something that you can even then take and show the pictures to your client if there's a specific problem you're working
1: on. Which is awesome.
0: Yeah. And then they can actually reference that and see what they, what you mean in terms of the biomechanics of how the horse is moving and Mm -hmm. why that specific muscle problem is going to give you the issue. So lots of different things you can do with it. But, anyways, it's called the Equine Anatomy Learning Aid. Um, and as I said, it's put out by Equinology founder Deborah Patillo. And I'll post a link on the social media as well so that you guys can take a look at it. But it's a great tool. So, totally recommend it to anybody. It's not that expensive and definitely worth every penny. So
1: Yeah, that so looks, you just showed it to me. It looks awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's um, really cool.
1: Yeah, and. As far as a couple things that we use here at Cooley to help horses uh, manage stress when coming to a new facility and being introduced to new things, Um, one is Zestera. I love it. It's an all-natural liquid that you just shoot in their mouth, and it seems to help um, horses manage their stress. And if they do have a little bit of, I'd say a sore tummy, not ulcers, it does help Um, a lot with that. Mm -hmm. As well, as I said, we use hay nets. And if you've used hay nets before, they can be a pain in the butt. You'll tie them up (laughs) and then you're trying to cut them down because the knot got too tight, stuff like that. They're hard to fill. Um, So we use eco nets and they're very, very, very durable. I've literally had some nets that I've used every day for four years in the barn. They also have clips on them. So when you throw them over the bars in the stall or over the fence, they're super easy to come back and clip. Yeah. So you're not fumbling with this huge full hay net in your face and then trying to tie it up at the same time because that's obviously I've done it enough that I don't like it. So yeah, we use Econets and they're super durable um, and very easy to hang. And they're all available on the Cooley website.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Those yeah. are great products. I've used them both as well. Yeah. yeah. really do like them. So... Thanks again, everybody, for listening in to us today and sharing with us in Annie's story. If, again, you have any questions or comments, but be sure and follow us and take a look at that video because it is something else. Thanks for joining us today. Reach out to our social media pages for more information on today's episode and lots of extras.